On October 4, 2023, a team of very experienced cave divers entered the cold waters of an aquifer in West Texas named Phantom Spring. Their goal was to explore deeper than ever before, lay guidelines, and conduct scientific research by videographing their dive and collecting samples. One diver wouldn't return to the surface. Join me on this episode as we learn about Brett Hemphill, the research company he co-founded, and what could have happened on that fatal dive. Hi everyone, I'm your host Alex and welcome back to Narcosis Into the Deep. I hope you all had a great 2023 and I wish you an even better 2024. Now, my plan for this new year is to try to release at least one episode per month, and I know I'm kind of close releasing this on the last day of January, but hey, I'm here. We made it. So I can't thank you enough for sticking around during my hiatus, and I hope that I can bring you some entertainment and knowledge during our new year, while also honoring the lives that we have sadly lost. So with that said, let's go ahead and dive into today's episode. As we've all come to learn on this podcast, cave diving can be quite dangerous, but there's a lot of researchers and conservationists who brave these dangerous waters to help better understand the world around us. One prime example of this is exploring underground aquifers. Did you know that most of Florida's main source of water comes from the largest aquifer in the southeastern United States called the Floridan? The Floridan can be found beneath all of Florida, parts of Alabama, Georgia, South Carolina, and even extends into areas of the Gulf of Mexico and Atlantic Ocean. There's a lot that we know about aquifers, and even more that we're still learning every day. But I won't bore you with the details of what we know about aquifers. I'm just going to cover one person who has helped us learn more about them, Brett Hemphill. Brett was born in Cocoa Beach, Florida in May of 1967. He had a very busy and active childhood, often exploring anything that was climbable, tracing creeks back to their source, and constantly searching for ways to satiate his curiosity. In fact, according to the Karst Underwater Research website, Brett attended a dry cave expedition when he was only 14 years old and quote, while the others slept, Brett and two trip counselors managed to find a yet undiscovered section of the cave. This discovery, small as it might have been, stayed with Brett for many years." End quote. This sense of discovery and adventure is clearly evident in Brett's actions because he spent years exploring small spring and tidal vents near his home in central Florida before founding Hydrogeo Environmental Research in 1994. Brett's fascination with underwater cave systems eventually led to the creation of the Karst Underwater Research Group, where he and his team assisted in exploring, mapping, and documenting many of the most unique and deepest underwater cave systems in the United States. In 2008, the KUR team broke the United States' deep underwater cave record at Wikiwachi Springs in the state of Florida. They would break this record again just five years later at Phantom Spring in Texas at just over 465 feet or 142 meters deep. Brett dedicated over 30 years to educating and inspiring exploration and protection of the Floridan aquifer and springs. 
He innovated equipment for the safety of other divers, and he even explored, mapped, and filmed many underwater cave systems. Brett was an outgoing person and entertained people by sharing his love of music, singing in rock and roll cover bands, performing musical theater selections for local shows and charity events, and even stepping up to the karaoke stage. But when Brett wasn't entertaining people, he was educating them and calling for protections and preservations of our fragile underwater systems during his role as president at Karst Underwater Research. Now, sidetracking just a little bit here, if you're like me, you might be asking yourself where the name Karst Underwater Research comes from. Karst is defined as an irregular region with sinkholes, underground streams, and caverns. It's derived from the German Der Karst, which is the name of a limestone region in Slovenia. Now, while I've heard the term karst before, I never actually knew what it meant. I had always assumed it was kind of the name of a specific aquifer, not a type of landscape. So, now we both know. And with that covered, let's cover more about the business known as Karst Underwater Research. According to their website, KUR's mission statement is, quote, to preserve and protect karst aquifers and the quality of their waters by conducting relevant scientific research and documentation of surface features and corresponding underwater caverns and conduits, end quote. KUR is a nonprofit organization dedicated to collecting and reporting valuable scientific information from underwater karst environments where scientists are unable to go and providing this information to the public for future generations to better understand and protect our unique natural resources. Their website continues stating, quote, Our focus is to identify opportunities for characterizing and collecting scientific information about car systems for academic research, environmental protection, and public knowledge. We fill the crucial niche of supporting scientists and other concerned parties by pulling information from the ground, literally, that they would not be able to do safely themselves. We also help scientists plan or refine their research plans based on our observations and data collections. But we are not a laboratory or facility. We are a volunteer organization that relies on the efforts of skilled and enthusiastic volunteers with their own exploration equipment to execute our research efforts." End quote. Based on my research, KUR is one of the few organizations that I would love to work for. Now, don't get me wrong, I will never ever go cave diving. I'm a recreational diver, not a cave diver. It's just not my forte. But I love their mission statement. It's clear that not only in their statements, but in their actions, that this is a group of people who understand their shortcomings. They're not a lab or able to conduct specific testing, but they want to assist researchers in any way they can. Their actions show that they are dedicated to protecting and preserving the delicate ecosystems that exist beneath our feet. KUR has worked on past and present projects in multiple different regions such as Wikiwachi Springs, Phantom Springs, Eagle Nest Sink, Swanee Springs, and many more. Details of these projects and even some expedition footage can be found on their website which I've linked in the episode notes. In this episode, I'm only going to cover the work that KUR has conducted at Phantom Spring, but I highly, highly, highly recommend you check out their other projects on their website. In 2011, a biology professor at Texas A&M, Dr. Tom Alife, reached out to Brett Hemphill and KUR director Andrew Pitkin 
for assistance with exploring and mapping an ecologically sensitive site in West Texas known as Phantom Spring. Phantom Spring has been owned by the Federal Bureau of Reclamation since 1948 due to its importance for local irrigation. But as increasing groundwater withdrawals in the area have reduced the output of the spring to zero, its focus has changed towards conservation of a threatened species of fish, the Comanche Springs pupfish. This rare freshwater fish is known to exist at this location and one other, the Comanche Spring near Fort Stockton, which has already ceased to become a viable habitat. Phantom Spring doesn't contain just pupfish. Researchers and explorers over the years have discovered a lot of exciting sea life and interesting geological structures within the cave system. ADM Exploration Foundation describes the geology in more detail, stating the most notable, quote, are the differing phreatic joint-controlled passages that have a meandering nature to them, undulating deeper and deeper as you dive further into the cave. Much of the first 3,000 feet, or about 914 meters, of the upstream passage has dry domes over the water. Some of these dry areas are fissures that rise over 100 feet, or about 30 meters, while others are mere nose pockets. Almost unbelievable was the discovery of cave coral speleothems that were discovered in one of the air-filled ceiling domes. The cave continued to reveal her secrets and beauty to the team as throughout several sections of the upstream passage, chert nodules, many with a coating black geothite, protruded from the cave walls like antlers from a herd of hundreds of deer. While diving through the clear waters of the Phantom Springs Cave, a diver experiences the contrast of dark chert against the backdrop of bone-white limestone walls. I found myself mesmerized. Never before have I seen something quite as beautiful and intriguing." End quote. In January 2012, Brett Hemphill, Andrew Pitkin, and Dr. Tom Alive, along with ADM Exploration Foundation, worked together to explore the Phantom Spring system. Brett dove using his KISS Classic rebreather, and Andrew dove using his PRISM rebreather. During their multi-day expedition, the team successfully extended a line within the cave system to 495 feet, or 151 meters. Before we go deeper into Brett and Andrew's multi-day dive and what they were working on and collecting from Phantom Springs in 2012, I need to explain a pressure system that is about to be introduced to you for the first time, at least in the podcast history. On this section of KUR's website, they describe a unit that's spelled out as FFW, which means feet of fresh water. Why is it so important to differentiate between FFW and FSW, feet of salt water? Saltwater is approximately 2.5% more dense than freshwater, and due to this, we have to take into account the difference in the amount of pressure being applied to the diver's body. While you would expect FSW and FFW to be a length or depth measurement, it's actually a measurement of pressure, similar to millimeters of mercury or standard atmosphere of pressure. Now, I know it's a little confusing, but if you've ever gone scuba diving, you know that you use your pressure gauge to determine how deep you are in the water. And that right there is where the confusion stems from. The pressure gauge does not actually measure how deep you are in the water. It measures the pressure and then converts it to the depth. 
So when you're hearing that FFW or FSW, just keep in mind that even though it is a depth, it's actually based on the pressure around you. So it's not a true depth, if that makes sense. If you recall from previous episodes, I mentioned that for every 33 feet or 10 meters that you dive deeper underwater, you gain one additional atmosphere of pressure. This, technically speaking, is incorrect because it's a general formula that divers follow since it's usually correct. Salinity varies from place to place, and it's not enough that it completely affects you or the outcome of your dive. So, for saltwater dives, we use the basic formula that 33 feet equals 1 atm, or atmosphere of pressure. However, since the freshwater is less dense, we slightly change that formula from 33 feet to 34 feet. Now, in meters, this is a difference from about 10.1 meters to 10.4 meters. This information is really just more of a fun fact and to help you understand the next direct quotes that I pull from KUR's website. So now, let's jump back to January 2012 at Phantom Springs. Brett and Andrew set off to place safety cylinders in the cave to support further exploration and then proceeded to the end of the line upstream which was placed by a previous diver, Bill Tucker. This line was tied off in a large room over 6,000 feet upstream, or over 1,800 meters upstream, from the entrance of the spring. Quote, As Bill and Andy came into the room, Bill's room, they both immediately saw the first real exploration lead, a passage low and to the left partially blocked with breakdown. They dropped their scooters, tied into Bill Tucker's line, and swam down through the breakdown into a bottom of another smaller, more circular room. Immediately, they saw that the way on was a passage entering high and to the right side, and swimming up into it, they found themselves in a beautiful, phreatic conduit with pale silt on the floor and a flat, dark roof. The passage continued to step down in depth, and after about 500 feet of new exploration, they reached a depth of 130 feet of fresh water, which is twice the previous maximum depth, and turned around because they began to reach the limits of their bailout gas. The following day, they came back, and again, the passage continued to descend to a maximum of 237 feet of fresh water, after which it ascended slightly into a small room at 215 feet of fresh water. From this point, it became clear that the ongoing passage would continue to get substantially deeper, and with only 30% helium in their diluent, they decided to turn around and survey the 450 feet of line that they had laid on this dive. In this audio clip, which is taken from the ADM Exploration Foundation footage, which is linked in the episode show notes, you'll hear a little bit of the arrival, setup, and findings of the 2012 expedition. Upon our arrival to Phantom Spring, we were met by freezing cold temperatures and snow flurries, quickly turning to rain and mud. The first day's goal was to conduct a shakedown setup dive to the end of the known cave system, some 5,400 feet from the entrance. Explorers Brett Hemphill and Andy Pitkin, supported by Walter Pickle and Kurt Bowen, began setting up emergency bailout cylinders that were to be placed within the cave system every 1,500 feet of penetration. With the snow continuing to fall, Brett and Andy submerged with the end of the cave as their target. 
With an expected four-hour dive runtime, Walter and Kurt awaited on the surface for their return. Upon their exit, we record their newest discoveries. All right, tell me what you got. Let Andrew tell you. Come on, well, Andrew. Uh, we got to the end of the line, and uh, there's, uh, we both saw it as we came into the terminal room. Uh, we got to the uh, end of the line, and there's obviously deep, uh, deeper passage going off to the left. Uh, so we followed the line to the end of the where it ended, and we both expected it to end right there. And uh, Brett tied in. We came back round, and and it immediately started going deeper. And uh, yeah. went down, 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 and uh, leveled out to about 135 feet. 130 feet. Yeah. Uh, big, big power cave. Yeah. And from this video, you can hear Brett Hemphill speak on his experience. Uh, it appears as though we brought a, brought a bit of Florida with us uh, on this particular dive. We uh, put in about 400 feet of line, went to a max depth of 230, and you can easily see where the cave is still dropping away. At least 250. At least 250. We uh, got all the survey. Survey's done. Uh, the cave is still very, very large, still a good amount of flow, definitely phreatic compared to the fracture type of cave in the shallower section. Certainly something we could still explore uh, given the right type of gases. We're, uh, we're just too uh, dialed in for a shallow cave to continue exploration at this time. Unless we get helium. Unless we get helium. That is, uh, that is correct. The footage from inside the cave is beautiful. And not to mention about halfway through the video, there's a clip of Brett holding a diamondback rattlesnake. If this and the obvious deep cave diving isn't a great example of Brett's sense of adventure, I don't know what else is. I definitely recommend you check out the footage. Again, it's linked in the episode show notes. Day three, Dr. Eilif and his team collect specimens as Walter Pickle and Kurt Bowen install the cave radio. Once in place, a surface receiver is used to locate the signal, allowing the team to pinpoint the cave's location accurate within a few feet. After the cave radio is in position, the team treks out across the desert. Twisting and turning, moving over rough terrain, attempting to avoid the cactus thorns, Andy quickly zeroes in on the strongest signal marking the exact cave location. My name is Tom Ilo. I'm a professor of marine biology at Texas A&M University at Galveston. My research concerns studies the biology of animals inhabiting underwater caves. I'm doing studies in the Caribbean, in the Atlantic, Mediterranean area, and even the South Pacific. We're here in a cave in West Texas to look at the biology of this particular cave. It's interesting because this is the longest underwater cave that we know of in the western part of the United States. Uh, it's a cave that goes for very considerable distances. It's still in the process of being explored. And so as we are exploring this cave, we're looking for animals that are inhabiting it and are adapted specifically to this environment. As we're investigating these caves, one of the issues we're very much concerned about is conservation. These are one-of-a-kind habitats, and they're only known from very, very few places on the planet. 
The animals that inhabit them are oftentimes restricted to a single cave and known from nowhere else. So pollution, damage, destruction of these habitats will result in extinction of the unique species that are found within them. We're working with uh, agencies of the federal government, particularly the Bureau of Reclamation that owns this cave, to uh, help to understand the ecology of it and to work to protect and preserve this very fragile environment. We have a permit to study this cave that's issued by the Bureau of Reclamation, an agency of the federal government, and they are the owners of the cave and make uh, very certain that any studies that are done in it meet the highest standards. In order to conduct the research that we're doing here, we've recruited a team of expert cave divers from around the country that are working with us to explore, to map, to photograph, and to document this unique habitat. Uh, I have just come back from a dive uh, to the downstream part of the cave. Uh, and the most notable thing about the downstream part compared with the upstream part is the very strong flow that's present throughout. Uh, it starts off very shallow uh, as a series of interconnecting vertical fissures. Uh, you go through a couple of breakdown rooms uh, and then it winds its way through uh, these vertical canyons which are basically perpendicular uh, onwards uh, until it drops down to a depth of about 45 feet. Uh, it then continues, sometimes vertical canyons, sometimes ducks deeper into phreatic tube. Uh, I went downstream to the end of Bill Tucker's line, which was about 1,400 feet from the entrance, uh, and tied in there, and the passage is continuing, again with strong flow, descends from there down to the mid-60 feet, 65 feet or so, uh, with uh, very strong flow, as I said, a lot of clay on the floor, uh, and lots and lots of turtle skeletons, uh, lots of very cool fossils in the limestone walls. And I continued, I put in about 450 feet of line uh, and turned around really when I got to the limit of my bailout. Uh, I then surveyed out, which was a very arduous process because the strong flow was making it extremely difficult to keep at any particular survey station. Uh, and basically I had to wedge myself into the passage in whichever way I could to try to uh, get an azimuth and a, and a, and a depth reading. Uh, and then I would have to fish out my scooter from wherever it, it, it had gone behind me, scooter to the next uh, station while counting knots, and then repeat the process again. So I got all, the whole thing surveyed, uh, but it was a fairly arduous and tedious process. Um, but it's, uh, it's not nearly as pretty as the upstream part of the cave. Uh, there's a lot of clay and a lot of silt in there, and it's much smaller, but the, the flow is very, very substantial. And uh, I have no doubt that this is the main downstream conduit for the system. As you can see, cave diving is not something that's done just for fun. There are samples being taken, studies being conducted, footage captured, and these aquifers and caves are being mapped to help better understand how they shape, work, and thrive in unlikely areas such as the deserts of Texas. Another dive took place in Phantom Spring in January 2013, one year later, where Brett and Andrew placed more bailout gas, explored more of the cave system, and tied off more lines. However, different from the previous year, this dive would end in a loss. 
Using their underwater scooters, which function exactly how you would expect them to, and I've added an image onto the podcast's Instagram page, at NarcosisPod, Brett and Andrew made their way past where the end of the line was from the previous year's dive. Passing 320 feet of fresh water, Brett and Andrew are still within the safety net of their exploratory dive. They plan to dive another 200 feet, or 61 meters, of horizontal passage that was about 20 feet wide and 6 to 10 feet high. In meters, that's about 6.1 meters wide and anywhere from about 1.8 to 3 meters high. According to KUR's website, quote, This passage terminated in the top of a large room formed by a transverse fissure which was at least 50 feet deeper than the passage that they had entered by. With no obvious continuation visible and mindful of their bailout limits, Brett tied off in the ceiling of the fissure and they scootered out. After more bailout gas was placed for decompression in the event of an emergency, they scootered out into the fissure looking for the way on, which proved to be underneath them with a large opening in the wall of the fissure, cutting back underneath the entrance passage. As they scootered down into this opening, it opened up into a large room with a flat floor covered with gray silt. Ahead of them, the only potential tie-off point was a brown formation, either chert or fossilized coral, protruding from the silt. As they approached it, a strange but loud noise occurred. Andrew immediately stopped, thinking that some part of his equipment had imploded, but after checking that it all seemed to be functional, he continued on to the formation where he tied off the line. Looking up, he could see a dark passage leading invitingly ahead about 30 feet wide and 12 feet high, or about 9 meters wide and 3.7 meters high. With the depth already over 450 feet, or 137 meters, it was clear that further horizontal exploration at that depth would be logistically impossible to accomplish safely with the equipment they had available at this time. So, they decided to exit. As Andrew reached out to pick up his underwater scooter, he noticed a stream of bubbles emanating from the aft O-ring seal. Not surprisingly, it was too heavy to lift, and with Brett shouting, leave it, into his mouthpiece, Andrew reluctantly abandoned his $6,000 scooter, and Brett towed him up to their first decompression stop. They had left a spare scooter in Bill's room for just this eventuality, so after an uneventful decompression, they reached the cave entrance some seven hours after going in. It's not often that I get to praise good safety in a podcast episode, so I want to take a moment here to pause and reflect on everything that Brett and Andrew did during this dive. You can tell that these are two experienced divers, and they're well aware of the dangers that exist this far under the water. When Andrew first heard a loud noise, he immediately stopped what he was doing and checked his gear. After, when he went to go grab his underwater scooter, Brett noticed it was broken and told Andrew to leave it, which Andrew did. Had Andrew not listened to Brett and tried to wrangle this large, heavy, broken scooter back to the surface, it could have led to his death and possibly Brett's. I know this sounds dramatic, but when you're that far underwater, exerting yourself and breathing heavy, you run through air much quicker and a lot of things can go wrong. Something as simple as carrying the gear you brought in back out could be the initial domino of a horrific event. This is a prime example of expert navigation through a potentially disastrous situation 
And I have to give huge props to both Brett and Andrew in this situation. Now that we have a better understanding of KUR, their work, and Brett and Andrew's diving experience, let's flash forward to 2023. On Wednesday, October 4th, 2023, Brett Hemphill and Andrew Pitkin descended Phantom Spring to conduct another exploratory cave dive. They began their dive at 10.45 a.m. local time and planned to explore past the lead starting at 450 feet or 137 meters of water at about 7,300 feet or 2,225 meters of penetration. At the deepest part of their dive, Brett was seen on footage about 750 feet or about 174 meters deep, tying off the guideline on a rock. At the deepest part of their dive, Brett was seen on footage at about 570 feet deep or 174 meters deep, tying off the guideline on a rock according to a KUR Facebook post from October 8th, 2023. At this point, Andrew turned around ready to head back to the surface. Now, although I wasn't able to find many specifics on this dive, I would presume that this is typical behavior, especially from what we've seen from the 2012 and 2013 dives. Brett and Andrew dive together, explore together, tie off at their deepest point possible, then turn around and head back. There is almost zero information out there besides the short post that KUR has made on their public Facebook page regarding what exactly happened to Brett during his fatal dive. According to only one news article that I could find, aka take this with a grain of salt, Andrew Pitkin shared the following information. Quote, I was surveying the new passage, which is fairly typical. It's very typical of what we do, which is a very absorbing task. And you don't really have a lot of ability to watch what your buddy is doing, so it's really your buddy's responsibility to stay with you. He was not around when I finished surveying, although I was aware that he was nearby for much of the time I was surveying because I could see his light moving around. When I finished surveying, I looked around for him and usually I would see him there, but on this occasion I couldn't find him." End quote. The article continues on, stating that Andrew thought Brett might have started heading back without him, but once Andrew was on his way back to the surface, that's when he realized he was wrong. Andrew turned around and attempted to look for Brett, but by this time, the visibility was too poor, which made it too dangerous to go any deeper. Quote, Flailing around and trying to find him would have been a risk to him and myself, so the correct course of action in that situation was to wait for him. So, I started out slowly, expecting that he would catch up at some point, or hoping he would catch up at some point, but he never did. End quote. Again, I can only find this information from one news source, so take that with a grain of salt. However, I will say that this does sound on par, based on the research that I've done from other fatal cave dives. I was glad to hear that Andrew had at least attempted to search for Brett before making his official return to the surface. And on October 8th, 2023, four days after Brett failed to return from their dive, the KUR team successfully recovered his body. Per their Facebook page, an autopsy is being conducted and an official statement will be released once all information has been collected and analyzed. At the time of writing this episode, an official statement has not been released, so I may revisit this case in a later episode with any updates. Many things could have gone wrong on this dive. Did Brett's rebreather fail? Did he accidentally kick up silt, reducing visibility which caused him to get lost? How many bailout tanks did he have on him? 
How far away was the closest stash of other bailout tanks? Did Brett experience any sudden physical symptoms that caused him to fail to return from the dive? We really won't know until the autopsy and official report are released. But either way, we will never have one of the most famous, well-loved deep cave divers back. My passion for exploration has changed over the years. When I was younger, it was more like, why do we climb a mountain? You know, um, you see it and, you, and it, when you go and you come back, it, it changes you inside. And, you know, as humans, we, I think we search for that. A lot of people will say, well, it's an adrenaline rush. But the reality is, is, is when, you, when you go and, and you push yourself a little bit further and you say, I'll never do that again. But then when you cover the logistics and you wait and you go, you know what, I could do that again. But as time has, has moved along and I just see this vast frontier, I, I, have a, I feel like I have a responsibility for other people to see so that they can turn around and go, you know, I may never do that, but it's amazing and that, that needs to be protected. These things always end up sad. <laughs> Brett Hemphill is survived by his wife of 28 years, Cheryl, and his three children, Skylar, Garrett, and Morgan, and his two grandchildren, Landon and Astrid. A celebration of life was held on January 14, 2024, by Karst Underwater Research at Marker 48 Brewery in Spring Hill, Florida. The photos from the celebration of life look like it was a great time. Many people came out to celebrate Brett's life and his accomplishments, and Marker 48 even created a special beer can label just for the event. Per another Facebook post, KUR shared that Brett loved to play around with designs and created the Mermaid Explorer. It references WikiWatchy, which is Brett's favorite project, and so KUR placed it on a shirt, and it's actually a really cool design, and the money goes towards KUR and the projects that they conduct, so I'd recommend checking it out and purchasing one if you have the means to. Finally, another podcast called Off Gassing was able to interview Brett on August 10th, 2023, prior to his passing. If you'd like to go listen to that podcast episode, I've linked it in the episode show notes. Brett Hemphill was an amazing explorer of our modern times. Although I did not know him personally, I know for a fact that he will be missed. May he rest in peace. Thank you for joining me on this episode of Narcosis Into the Deep. Be sure to follow the podcast Instagram page at Narcosis Pod, where I post photos related to each episode. I also post the full transcripts of my episodes and sources on Imgur or Imager, however you want to pronounce it, uh, for anyone that's hearing impaired or prefers a digital format. All of these links can be found in the episode show notes. And thank you again for listening, and I'll see you all on the next episode.